Welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. This podcast is a project by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution to increase the avenues where we can connect. One of four hosts serves as interlocutor, engaging in conversations with members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field. My name is Reka Rangachari, and I'm the executive director of the New York International Arbitration Center. This week, I'm sitting down with Steve Dunn, Principal at Miles Mediation and Arbitration with offices throughout the Southeast as we address the topic, things to think about when mediating FLSA class and collective action matters. Steve, welcome. It is such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Well, so let's get straight into it. What issues are unique to the management of class and collective actions? Well, the two main things are, first, uh, the nature of wage laws themselves. Uh, As a lawyer who represented employers for a long time before I became a full-time mediator, I learned to appreciate the complexity of wage laws, both under the federal law and as those laws vary from state to state. And the thing about wage laws that's different from a lot of the other types of cases that we handle is that the requirements are uh, set out by statute. Uh, They're very specific. They are very technical. And sometimes they're counterintuitive. And I used to tell my clients that when they came to me with a wage question, it was the sort of thing where rather than relying on generalized notions of justice and common sense, Those were the types of questions that I would have to look up every single time because there are a lot of regulations and they are very detailed. And so this can be a challenge in mediation, particularly uh, if you're working with lawyers who uh, don't specialize in this area. Uh, There are a lot of lawyers who do employment law, but only a small percentage of their practice is related to wage and hour issues specifically. And then there's also a lot of lawyers who just practice uh, in a more general litigation practice where employment is only a portion of what they do. And so we sometimes are confronted with, uh, in mediation, with uh, lawyers who are experienced in the area but not expert. And this can be a challenge not only because of the substantive law, but also because in settling wage issues and particularly class and collective actions, there are a lot of deal terms that need to be considered that are absent in other types of cases. And this is true for many reasons, uh, but one of the main things is that We are often in a position as litigants in these matters of presenting our settlement to a court for approval. And in that context, uh, it is not quite so simple as just making a deal uh, between the parties. I like to say that in these types of cases, uh, the mediator has to act as a mediator between the parties in facilitating an agreement, but then also at the same time serve as a sort of stand-in for the court who is uh, looming over the proceeding and at some future date will be asked to bless the agreement. 
And so there's a role to play for the mediator in guiding the negotiation in such a way that not only the parties will be able to agree, but also that the court will approve. And there's a lot of moving parts with respect to that question. And this can be challenging for us, particularly uh, with respect to people who don't uh, live in this world all the time. Thanks so much, Steve, and really appreciate it. You've come to the table at all angles of these sorts of disputes, um, most recently also as mediator. So you get to see the compendium of different aspects having pled before representing parties. So let's take a look at pre-suit considerations. Are there preventative steps employers can take to minimize risk? It is a great practice for any employer to regularly review uh, their positions, their job descriptions, their classifications of exempt versus non-exempt employees, and also their pay practices. Uh, I would love it as a lawyer when I was invited into that process by my clients, uh, because it was a great opportunity to head off conflict and controversy before it occurred. I will also tell you that the Department of Labor is uh, in state and federal, wherever you are, is happy to answer questions about pay practices. So whenever a question comes up for an employer and you need to get a, uh, an informal ruling, if you will, uh, I would encourage employers to reach out to their Department of Labor and ask those questions. This is helpful for several reasons. Uh, one is because you can get a good substantive answer and make sure that you're on the right track in terms of your pay practices. But also important, uh, that effort on your part uh, will reflect well on you in the event that there is later a dispute about those issues. Uh, Your attempt to comply with what are admittedly a uh, confusing and comprehensive set of regulations will be a factor in your favor uh, if you're uh, ever involved in a dispute later down the road. Thanks so much. So next, we're going to take a look at the importance of timing. Appreciating mediation under the FLSA collective action is mandatory, um, and each case presents a unique set of facts. Do you have a sense of when it's best to mediate these kinds of disputes, for example, before or after class certification or before or after discovery? Well, as a mediator, my standard answer is that uh, I recommend mediating early and often, but in the class and collective context in particular, it's important. I still think it's important to mediate early, but not too early. And let me explain what I mean by that. There are many advantages to mediating the dispute prior to the certification of a class. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, For one thing, the options in litigation still remain relatively open up to that point. Uh, Certain issues have not been decided, which gives us as lawyers uh, opportunity to talk about those issues and debate them and uh, argue how they ought to be factored into a settlement during the mediation. But at the same time, you have also 
avoided spending all of the money and all of the time that's going to be involved in the full-blown litigation. If, if you can get into a mediation relatively soon, then your employer is going to have an opportunity to save on the litigation expense. And of course, the employees will have an opportunity to make a deal that results in, in getting paid promptly. However, it is a mistake to participate in mediation before certain facts are understood uh, by everyone involved. And so I find it is generally most productive to engage in a little bit of discovery, whether that's formal or informal. It is important for the participants in mediation to know what has happened and to have an opportunity to have reviewed documents. Uh, a lot of this work is document intensive and uh, technical and involves a lot of math. And so if the parties have an opportunity to do that before the mediation and sometimes even to cooperate, uh, to communicate directly with each other, their thoughts and their calculations in advance, then that can help us be productive on mediation day so that we're not spending uh, half the day or more uh, just figuring out what we've got. You know, your, your insight on familiarity of the case between all stakeholders at the table is important and not necessarily unique to FLSA matters, but broadly to the success of mediation. So it's a good reminder early and often. We're moving next uh, to key tips as it pertains to preparation. So what are keys to a successful mediation of a class or collective action under the FLSA? Is there a science behind picking your mediator or collecting content in advance of the session to create a better outcome and a better process therewith? I do think it is important to engage a mediator who has experience in wage class and collective actions. And this is true not only because that individual will speak the language and understand the considerations that are unique in a settlement of cases like that, but that person can also be helpful in reminding the litigants to consider uh, their options with respect to deal terms that come up in this context that don't come up in, in other legal contexts. There are certain things that have to be accounted for, such as the, the taxability uh, allocation of a settlement or the details of a relationship with an administrator of a settlement. And again, the concept of packaging the agreement in a way that's likely to be well-received by a court who's looking over it and trying to make sure that it is uh, procedurally and substantively fair. And in fact, uh, if, if the parties uh, do engage uh, an experienced mediator for this process, uh, the court will uh, look fondly upon that uh, as a presumptive indication that the settlement is in fact fair. So choosing the right mediator certainly is a consideration. And then in terms of preparation, I think it comes back to this concept of gathering together the records and frankly, just exchanging the records. These types of cases are ones where we often know what we've got 
uh, th- there are different variations on a the theme, but in a lot of these cases, we know what we have, we know what the lines of disagreement are, and everyone can agree that regardless how we feel about the case, we know what records are relevant, right? And they can be gathered and they can be produced. And we can do that work in advance to prepare our Excel spreadsheet that shows the assumptions that we are applying into our calculation of damages for settlement purposes. And the more time we spend as parties preparing in that way, the more able we will be on mediation day to focus our attention on all all of the other things uh, that that have to be figured out through that process. And by the way, uh, one thing about these types of cases that is the same as every other kind of mediation is that uh, personalities and feelings come into it in in a very real way. And we need to have time and space to work through those issues. So the, to the extent we can um, agree at least about what we're disagreeing about with respect to numbers that can help us save time. Important point, humanity of the process. We're not just mediating facts and law, but also people and their stories. So um, we're going to end here with um, sort of the state of affairs um, of the Supreme Court weighing in on these matters. 2017, Mark Scotus's decision and the Bristol-Myers decision holding that due process does not permit the exercise of personal specific jurisdiction over non-resident consumer claims in the mass tort context. Since then, district courts have been split on whether the decision limits a court's exercise of personal specific jurisdiction in FLSA actions to solely those claims arising within the state where the suit is brought. Can you share any developments on this topic? Well, I think you've summed it up quite well. Uh, This is a question that's been on everyone's mind for a few years. And the most recent development is that the First Circuit Court of Appeals has issued a decision which I think it's generally understood creates a clear split in the circuit. So this is uh, the issue is the extent to which a, uh, a company that resides in a certain state Uh, is susceptible to class um, or collective actions by non-residents of that state. And this seems inevitably headed toward the U.S. Supreme Court, whether it's on this First Circuit case that was recently decided or another one. It it seems clear that this is something that the Supreme Court is going to have to decide. and so that's uh, that, that's the on the tip of everyone's tongue. Uh, there are always uh, there's there are other issues uh, that are always bubbling up through the the courts. Um, there are questions about the conditional uh, certification of an FLSA um, collective action and whether what we're used to as a two step process. Uh, ought more properly be uh, boiled down into a more rigorous one-step process. There's a court of appeals that has recently suggested that is the case. Uh, And that's one of the things that makes this area of law uh, so much fun for someone like me, is that it is constantly changing, uh, that Supreme Court cases matter, uh, and it's it gives me something, as someone who who isn't practicing law anymore, it, it helps me uh, keep uh, a finger in on the pulse of uh, what's going on in the law as it develops. And of course, 
as of our recording of this, we're about to, it looks like, about to have a new Supreme Court justice confirmed, uh, one who probably will not shift fundamentally the ideological balance of the court, but who will bring her own um, judicial philosophies and ideas and um, pragmatism to analysis of these issues and others. A great temporal point on where we're at right now in the composition of the court and changes that are forthcoming. (laughs) We are currently in that Senate review. Um, And so finally, I'd like to end on a personal note, Steve. Um, How how did you get into this niche area of practice? Um, And what, if any, are some questions that keeps you thinking at night on this subject um, as we close out? Well, it's like most things. Uh, I was an employment lawyer for a long time, and I handled all different types of cases in the employment world, uh, but some, a lot of them involved wages, and some of them involved class and collective actions. And so through handling those cases as a lawyer, uh, I became exposed well, <laughs> through a lot of trial and error and uh, hard-gained experience to these issues that I'm describing for you today. Uh, I've been a certified mediator since 2009, and I've been a full-time mediator since 2019. And my exposure to these types of cases as a mediator, I think, is a a natural outgrowth of my experience as a lawyer. Um, I I have some, uh, some lawyers who do this type of work, who like me as a mediator, and have been kind enough to invite me into their settlements and um, yeah, it's like, it's, I, I always say that being a mediator is a lot like being a lawyer in the sense that you just do it long enough and you do enough of it and eventually you start to figure things out. So that's how I got exposed to it. And I find it um, to be a lot of fun. Uh, there are a lot of people I, I run into through my work, mostly the litigants who are exhausted and annoyed, uh, who'd rather not be coming to see me at all, but they're, they're happy at the possibility of settling a case who uh, question how I could possibly do this every day. And all I can tell them is that I I feel like I'm living the dream. I think I have the best job in the world. (laughs) Well, that is a great note to end on. Steve, a sincere pleasure to those tuning in. Steve Dunn on mediating FLSA class and collective action matters. We'll post a link to his bio if you want to keep the conversation going with him. With that, Steve, I'll bid you farewell and also to those tuning in. Have a great day, everybody.